0: Uh, Happy New Year, everyone, and uh, please remember to stay safe out there. Uh, We're pleased to report the Nine Point Alternative Health Fund had a successful year in 2020, outperforming its benchmark index, as well as other sub-indices that some investors compare our fund with. For the year ending December 31st, the fund generated a return of over 39% for the Series F and over 30% for the Series A. We have outperformed the S&P Healthcare Index, and we outperformed HMMJ to a significant degree in the the year. We're very proud of that accomplishment. Our strategy takes advantage of changing dynamics for alternative health, how it's delivered and what consumers and patients demand. Our ability to be proactive, investing in new names, taking profits when certain companies have short-term outperformance, and reallocating capital to companies we like all contribute to outperformance relative to index strategies. This is a diversified approach, and this has benefited us in 2020 with increased interest in pharmaceuticals, awareness of healthcare, as well as the changing marketplace in cannabis across North America. 2020, in many ways, was a launchpad for cannabis as it became an essential service in most jurisdictions in the US and Canada which served to push demand fundamentals forward. In 2020, the fund benefited from positions in leading U.S. multi-state operators, or MSOs, such as Leave Cannabis, 160%, Green Thumb Industries, up 143%. And the fund held those positions throughout the entire year. Whereas new to the fund, Terrasend, starting in the third quarter was up 122% for the period since we invested in September to year-end. For 2021, we believe these companies continue to provide significant growth opportunities as their operations expand into new markets in the United States. First, let's talk about TrueLeave. TrueLeave is a medical cannabis company in the state of Florida. It has approximately 50% of the Florida market. And TrueLeave now has more than 65 dispensaries in Florida and more than 70 dispensaries nationwide as it's expanded out of its core Florida market and now has operational contribution in Massachusetts, Connecticut, as well as its recent Pennsylvania acquisition that closed in November. Green Thumb Industries, it's an Illinois-based company with 13 manufacturing facilities, 96 licensed dispensaries across 12 states. Curaleaf is out of Massachusetts, and it's got the widest distribution of any U.S. cannabis company in the U.S. Over the last 24 months, through M&A opportunities, it now has operations in 23 states, 93 dispensaries, and 30 processing facilities. So we're very excited about the prospects of this growing U.S. market or what we're gonna refer to as a growing total addressable market in the United States. And we mentioned TerraSend, vertically integrated, very focused in the Northeast in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, in addition to a new acquisition in Maryland and has made uh, a foray into California. So adding operational licenses throughout different parts of the country. Now, the fund's Canadian Cannabis Licensed Producers also provided strong returns for the fund. Village Farms was up 56%, and Afria was up close to 40% for the year. Both Village Farms and Afria are among the lowest cost producers in Canada, with growing market share in important provincial markets, including Ontario, Alberta, and British Columbia. With many of the Canadian LPs struggling during the year and posting negative returns, we're very pleased with the overall performance of our Canadian select portfolio allocation. Innovative industrial properties listed on New York, that's the cannabis listed REIT, generated a return of over 140% for the fund. We also had significant growth from Jamison Wellness nutraceuticals and supplements that became um, significantly in demand with the COVID lockdowns and people's renewed focus on health. Uh, Jamison Wellness contributed up 38 uh, percent. Now looking at 2021, we believe that 2021 will provide strong opportunities in alternative healthcare space. Within our sector allocation, the cannabis sector continues to hold significant upside with continued U.S. market expansion and deregulation. In addition, U.S. MSOs continue to scale, offering efficient operations and stronger cash flows. We see the prospect of M&A heating up in the space as companies on both sides of the border, Canada and the U.S., position themselves for U.S. market participation and a glowing global market. We continue to allocate more capital to the U.S. cannabis market relative to the Canadian market. Our view is that U.S. cannabis companies are sound, having overcome significant obstacles in the last 24 months. There was a slow and prodding review of M&A activity from the Department of Justice since early 2019. And that's while MSOs were dealing with higher effective tax rates, higher cost of capital, and liquidity challenges listing on the CSE relative to the desired NASDAQ, where the leading Canadian LPs have listed and continue to attract US investors. Now, despite these challenges, the leading US MSOs have reached scale, generate 25% EBITDA margins on a quarter over quarter basis, at a time when most Canadian LPs continue to focus on right-sizing, in order to reach breakeven cash flow margins. As many of these challenges are now in the rearview mirror for the US MSOs, and regulatory challenges are in the past. We see the changes promoting a larger market opportunity, a stronger market opportunity. And so we believe that 2021 will be a great year for the leading MSOs and for the fund. For 2021, We believe there are fundamental and structural tailwinds for the fund to provide superior risk-adjusted returns with significant opportunities for growth. We believe that as the new year starts, the fund offers a great entry point for many different investors. Now, first, for those investors that have individual cannabis holdings, you may have done really well in the last part of 2020, and now might be a good time to take some profits and buy the fund stay invested in cannabis, yet take advantage of a diversified, actively managed approach. This is also a solid fund to invest in with gaining exposure to the healthcare sector. We see growth through a resurgence of normalized activity, and that includes healthcare usage, hospital visits, elective surgeries, demand for services that were really significantly down in 2020 we see rising in 2021. And the fund offers exposure to that reopening. We also offer a great alternative for those investors that are looking for opportunities in high growth sectors like technology and e-commerce. The work from home stocks had a great run in 2020. But given that the distribution of vaccines and normalization trends are building globally, the work from home stocks may not perform as well as they did in 2020 and they may have difficulty generating those same levels of growth. However, with structural changes taking place in cannabis, we see continued cash flow growth and top-line revenue growth in the cannabis sector that will provide continued growth for portfolios in 2021. There are still significant tailwinds providing growth for the fund. In Canada, we're seeing store growth in large provinces assisting the cannabis market in its early growth. Ontario is now on an 80-store opening trajectory per month, which adds significant brick-and-mortar convenient locations in Canada's largest province. There are now over 350 stores licensed, up from almost 50 a year ago. That's significant growth. Having a strong retail network is key in opening distribution of a regulated product while also reducing reliance on the illicit market. In the US, the ballot initiatives that succeeded in November have created momentum for further market expansion at the state level. As more states move towards adult use, additional pressure is being put on Congress to deal effectively with cannabis. It's a major employer in the country. It can no longer be ignored. In addition, as state governments respond to budget deficits caused by COVID-19, Governors are looking to create alternative revenue sources to help with those deficits. With 15 states legal for adult use and tremendous tax revenue that has been generated, governors and state legislatures can't ignore this sector. We still continue to see continued growth for the US multi-state operators. Fundamentals continue to show strength with top-line double-digit revenue growth quarter over quarter, operational scale as whether as well as stronger and growing cash flow. We have seen dramatic growth in operating cash flow in this past year, as many companies now have the scale and efficiency to add new state markets and cultivation capacity while controlling expenses, leading to bottom line positive cash flow results. In addition, recent elections are having a significant impact on cannabis. The positive results of the recent ballot initiatives in five states, Arizona, New Jersey, South Dakota, Mississippi, and Montana, created a green wave in November. We see the results of the November election and the ballot initiatives providing an expanding cannabis market where the total addressable market for multi-state operators continues to grow larger. And we see the dynamic of a domino effect where there's pressure on neighboring states to legalize due to lost tax revenue and employment. We believe this is particularly relevant in the Northeast. And when you look at those states, you see New Jersey that's very interconnected around New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Maryland. All those governors, all those state legislatures are looking at legalization in 2021. Tax revenue, budget shortfalls have a lot to do with this. Now, if we take a look at New Jersey and following up on the successful ballot initiative, the New Jersey Senate judiciary, the house, the governor are all putting the finishing touches on the laws and policies and procedures that are gonna govern recreational cannabis in the state. Right now, there's only 12 companies that are licensed in the state and each of those 12 companies get three dispensary licenses. So a total of 36 dispensaries for a fairly large population to address. As a result, we see investment growth in incumbent MSOs in New Jersey, such as Curaleaf. It's dominated statewide medical sales with a 30% market share and close to 150,000 square feet of cultivation production capacity. Green Thumb Industries, also present in New Jersey, has a production footprint of 120,000 square feet of capacity. It's these wholesale opportunities that are going to drive cash flow. TerraSend also has cultivation and recently opened its first dispensary in the northern part of New Jersey. The combination of a large population base in this neighborhood, limited licensing and capacity constraints, says New Jersey is going to provide strong upside in the latter part of 2021. So we mentioned the domino. Let's talk about one of those dominoes now. New York projects a $59 billion budget shortfall through the end of 2022. And primarily that's the result of the pandemic and recent lockdowns. Governor Cuomo announced the first week of January his intention to table adult use cannabis legislation. And we are seeing those policies and initiatives get rolled out as we wait for more detail. Pennsylvania has a $5 billion deficit over the next two years. While Connecticut controllers are suggesting an anticipated $2 billion budget shortfall as well. This is what's driving the state by state growth, which will drive the total addressable market growth that we mentioned. It's all about cannabis tax revenue. It's a new source of revenue that governors can't ignore. So let's look at why those governors are focused so much on potential revenues. We've got to look at some of the established adult use markets. When you look at Illinois, Illinois has just successfully operated for 12 months under adult use legalization. The state announced in December cannabis sales in the month for the recreational market were close to $90 million, up 16% from November. Together, the adult use and medical sales for the, for the year are on a run rate of $1.4 billion in the state of Illinois. So when we consider Illinois, we see the dramatic expansion of sales when the transition occurs from medical to adult use. With a population of 12 million people and a run rate of over 1.4 billion, we can estimate that New Jersey, with close to 9 million people, and New York with close to 20 million people, represent significant sales opportunities in those markets and significant tax opportunities in those states. When we look to the West, a more mature market, California, it's on pace to collect $1 billion in taxes from licensed cannabis sales in 2020. that's despite the challenges from regional and municipal lockdowns the fires that occurred through much of 2020, pandemic uh, recovery process over the last 10 months. In the third quarter alone, the state brought in over $300 million in excise, cultivation, and sales tax. So you can see why governors are continuing to focus on generating new tax revenue. This is a creative revenue opportunity for governors they cannot ignore. We have grown more positive on the California market recently. While significant challenges still exist, there's a fragmented patchwork of regulation county by county, but we believe that the state has finally begun to make some headway in dealing with the illicit market. And Given the size of California, with a population larger than Canada, even small improvements have the benefit to incumbent companies. Looking at 2021, we see many additional adult use states that potentially can change the market further. Florida, a very large medical only market, population over 21 million, is probably not a 2021 story, but certainly will have a ballot initiative in 2022. Virginia is certainly looking at, at, uh, excuse me, the state of Virginia, with a population of close to 9 million people similar in size to New Jersey and close to the Northeast, has just begun its medical market and Governor Northam has declared his support for adult use legalization. But there are many other states working on adult use cannabis legislation right now. If they include Rhode Island, Delaware, Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska, New Mexico. Obviously we mentioned Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. So this trend is now putting political pressure on the federal government. Vice President Harris in her previous role as Senator from California was the lead Senate sponsor in the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act or the the MORE Act. It's important to note that cannabis holds promise as a crossover issue that's supported by elected officials on both sides of the aisle. It's important to note that many states where cannabis is now legal for adult use have Republican senators. Pennsylvania, Montana, South Dakota, Mississippi. This is an important year as we see a breakthrough for the Democrats in the federal government, with many governors in support of generating new tax revenues. On January 5th, the balance of power in the Senate changed from a Republican-controlled Senate to a Democrat-controlled Senate. With Democrats gaining control of the Senate, the likelihood of federal cannabis reform has increased substantially. We believe that a Democrat-controlled Senate is a catalyst, further de-risking cannabis and assisting the US MSOs. We believe Democratic control of the Senate could open a path for ongoing cannabis regulatory changes that help provide better access to capital alleviate operating headwinds and potentially change the tax treatment for MSOs and help drive industry growth. It must be stated that Democrats have a thin margin in the Senate that could complicate the path of reform. Another aspect that must be considered in the Senate is that some Democrat senators aren't necessarily supportive of cannabis. Now there is a path for significant federal change but investors may need to temper their enthusiasm in terms of timing and just how far the reform is pushed. Full legalization may not yet be achievable in the near term, but we believe the current composition of the Senate ultimately benefits the incumbent MSOs we hold in our portfolio, giving them time to entrench their market positions. Our view is we see a potential policy path whereby a modified version of the States Act is approved in both chambers of Congress, leaving each state to decide the legality of cannabis. Part of the legislation would cover banking and capital markets access. Congress could then work on adjusting tax treatment with respect to section 280E of the tax code, followed by a creation of a federal excise tax. Access to banking and financial services, such as insurance, will lower the cost of capital and reduce regulatory burdens for those companies that work in the industry. Access to the U.S. capital markets would be a meaningful positive for providing liquidity and access to U.S. investors. As a result, these changes will put U.S. MSOs on a similar footing to Canadian LPs that have previously had an advantage to listing on U.S. exchanges for over three years. To date, U.S. MSOs have been relegated to Canadian exchanges without the benefit of national banking in the US. Now, the States Act would not allow interstate commerce and would not serve as a triggering event for multinational competitors to enter the US cannabis market. Cannabis would still remain a schedule one controlled substance. And this would keep the competitive moats that exist for the multi-state operators in place. But let's not forget The industry employs over 300,000 voters, some of whom have elected Republican senators. Cannabis is one of the few socioeconomic issues all parties can agree with. It's not that Congress is accepting cannabis so much as elected officials realize the significant tax revenue that can be generated to help offset the costs related to the COVID lockdowns. Another reason we see continued upside for the leading US multi state operators, is that even with the strong returns in 2020, the MSOs have a valuation advantage relative to Canadian producers, and they're undervalued relative to other high growth industries. If we compare US MSOs and their high growth rates of quarterly cash flow to technology companies or retail companies, we see that multi state operators are trading at 10 to 15 times. EBITDA, or cash flow, versus tech and retail that trade in the mid-20s to low 30 times respectfully. The higher the multiple means investors end up paying more for each dollar of EBITDA generated. We continue to see opportunities for valuation expansion as investors realize the potential of multi-state operators reaching scale and operational efficiencies that can propel their valuations. Now, we also note the incredible year that large cap tech had in this past year, the work from home names. And we talked about that earlier. It's very clear that investors want to own high growth companies in this environment. When you consider that you can get high cash flow growth at lower multiples with an expanding market in the US MSOs, we believe an in investment in the fund to capture that growth that we see in 2021 is a very attractive option relative to tech names, retail names, or even the Canadian cannabis companies. It's important to realize that legislative changes do not occur in a social vacuum. Sometimes laws move ahead of societal norms and sometimes they play catch up. Wanted to give you a couple of examples of what's going on in the United States the National Basketball Association, yes, the NBA, it's extending its policy of not randomly testing players for marijuana for the 2021 season amid the coronavirus pandemic. Michelle Roberts, the head of the National Basketball Players Association, joined the board of directors of Illinois-based Cresco Labs last year. She predicted in a recent interview that formal change could be coming in the next few months. The NFL has also moved towards similar cannabis policies, making the decision to end suspensions related to cannabis testing, as well as limiting the testing windows under the collective bargaining agreement between the league and the Players Association. Further changes that are important to note, the global cannabis market has also had breakthroughs in 2020. The United Nations Commission on Narcotic Drugs accepted a World Health Organization recommendation to remove cannabis and related products from its Schedule IV of the 1961 Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. That vote could have far-reaching implications for countries that rely directly on the UN and the World Health Organization for legislative direction with respect to drug policy. As a result, it could help boost medical cannabis legalization efforts around the world. Canadian adult-use cannabis sales continue to grow moderately relative to the growth seen in many of the markets in the United States. For the month of October, the most recent sales reports show that Canada generated sales reaching $270 million. That's a 5% monthly increase over September. It implies an annual run rate of roughly $3.2 billion for Canada's adult use cannabis sector. October sales in Canada's largest province, Ontario, increased 7.6% over September. Quebec, the next largest province, reported sales of 48 million, a 6% month over month increase. So it's all moving in the right direction. And we see with more stores, more sales will appear and less of a bottleneck should be present for many of the Canadian companies. But we remain cautious on the Canadian cannabis market as only a select group of companies are able to grow top line revenue, expand market share while generating stronger cash flows. The value segment continues to be a primary focus for many companies and yet only select groups are able to produce at a low cost in order to generate positive cash flow. Store counts will continue to grow and new product formats continue to enter the market. But for now, we are only looking at the Canadian companies opportunistically. Now, when we look at cannabis investments, our fund continues to focus in the US. But the Canadian LPs have rallied recently since the November elections. And then once again, early in 2021, after the Georgia runoff steps simply due to their ability to enter the U.S. market if federal legalization is implemented. We're not convinced that this potential supports the valuation increases. With a few exceptions, there is no compelling reason to believe the Canadian LPs have the skills and experience to compete effectively in the U.S. market. Canadians' main advantage has been access to capital due to their ability to list on major U.S. exchanges. But it's important to remember that federal legalization, the event that will allow them to enter the US will simultaneously remove that advantage, meaning US companies will be able to list on the NASDAQ. Now, there are investors that believe that Canadian LPs have a significant near-term opportunity to exploit in the US. However, there are some key issues that need to be understood. The US at this point is still not legal for cannabis. At the federal level, foreign operations will continue to be left out of the U.S. market. The Canadian market continues to grow only modestly, and with continued retail price pressures, we are selective, only investing in companies that we analyze are growing their positive cash flows. The incumbent multi-state operators operate state by state and have an extend expanding market in more than 35 states now. The best states to operate in are limited license states. One needs to consider that after federal legalization, or what some suggest, federal permissibility, new operations will likely need to have state licenses, similar to the way the alcohol distribution business operates currently. Canadian operators, as well as other foreign operators, would be starting from the beginning, having to acquire state licenses they would need to build the regulatory infrastructure, establish a retail dispensary network, and build their brands. Now it's true that Canadians have advantages, including being able to list on NASDAQ, as well as having access to global banking. But that leads only to a temporary advantage. With federal legalization in Canada, they have a temporary lower cost of capital lead. However, if we assume US legislative changes, that lead ends. So it brings up a point, do any Canadian companies have a US presence that they can exploit? Yes, there are. Canopy Growth has market capability to exploit and compete. They have investments in multi-state operators. They have non-cannabis products distributed in the US and they have licensed their cannabis brands such as Tokyo Smoke into the United States. They have investments in Acreage Holdings and TerraCent. Afria is another Canadian LP that also has potential. Afria is led by Erwin Simon, the founder and former CEO of Haynes Celestial. Simon knows how to build brands in the US. Recently, Afria bought Georgia-based craft brewer, Sweetwater Brewery, to build awareness of Afria's brands. Sweetwater craft beer is distributed in over 27,000 locations across the US. Now, we note that Afria recently announced an all stock merger with Tilray. And it creates what the two management teams stated will be the world's largest cannabis company. We'll have 19% of the recreational market in Canada, two times the sales of the next largest player, which is Canopy. Now, the reason for the stated merger is potential synergies, close to $100 million within two years. We are cautious on the overall announcement as the Canadian cannabis sector still suffers from oversupply and lower flower retail prices. In addition, dragging profitability are cost bases that on average are still bloated from previous years of overspending. In addition, it's important to remember that although these companies are positioning the deal, as being ready for the large and growing U.S. market. Again, it's our opinion that U.S. federal permissibility is still a minimum of three to four years away. As a result, we believe the Canadian LPs will remain blocked out of the U.S. for the time being, and as a result, we continue to allocate capital to the U.S. market. Now, turning to our healthcare and pharmaceuticals waiting we offer a more diversified strategy than simply investing in cannabis. And when we consider our allocation to pharmaceuticals, some of these companies are game changers in the fight against coronavirus, bringing renewed awareness of innovation, intellectual property, and global distribution of various medications and treatments. And additionally, as part of the reopening of the economy, we see increased demand for health services, and we have holdings that have exposure. We see the portfolio in 2021 benefiting from our exposure to pharma and healthcare. And it's important to note that during the spring of 2020, when the market originally sold off during the early lockdown period, these positions held up well for the portfolio. Names such as Pfizer and AstraZeneca have now begun distribution of their COVID vaccines. The Pfizer vaccine uses a messenger RNA technology similar to Moderna. They both have a 97% efficacy rate, similar to traditional breakthrough vaccines like measles and chickenpox. Now, logistics are key in getting the medicine around the world, especially since the RNA vaccine needs to be kept at very cold temperatures. It makes logistics integral to the rollout. Our portfolio also includes top 10 holding Johnson & Johnson that is weeks away from providing its clinical trial results for its COVID-19 vaccine. The j product establishes um, a vaccine platform that has been proven safe in other diseases in the past, such as Ebola and HIV and Zika. We believe that the j and vaccine should provide strong opportunities for growth similar to what we've seen with our other pharma selections. We believe staying in the largest diversified pharmaceutical names reduces risk and provides the portfolio with stable growth as these leading companies provide ongoing development of medications and devices beyond the coronavirus, oncology, diabetes and the like. So with vaccines on the way and the world beginning to see a new normal, that means going back to more normal activities and healthcare visits and elective surgeries are part of that normalization trend. During the fall, it was estimated that 100 million people in the U.S. in high-risk categories have been avoiding care in 2020. As a result, we see a resurgence in healthcare activity in 2021 and beyond and look to position our exposure through companies like Humana and United Health, as they offer access to healthcare activity but are not reliant on location, such as hospitals, which may see government regulatory changes with the new Biden administration. So the US still has significant issues in terms of spending on healthcare. And even after enactment of the Affordable Care Act 10 years ago, the US still has not been able to streamline healthcare services to its entire population. Healthcare costs can be expensive, and there are mounting pressures to contain this as a percentage of overall government budgets. The Democrats would like to expand access to healthcare, but the Republicans are vehemently against move towards more government involvement. In our view, any changes will have to work within the existing system. A complete overhaul is not realistic at this time, and the government is not ready to deal with these issues given the ongoing stresses caused by COVID-19. So as a result, we like UNH, we like Humana. UNH is the largest managed care provider combining growth and scale. It's Optum division, technology services, part of the business. It represented 48% of its profit last year, and it continues to grow and is scalable. We believe that the significant investment in technology that both of these companies have spent act as a moat that will continue to build their value ahead of competition. In early January of this year, UNH acquired Change Healthcare, further strengthening its technology offering to optimize healthcare delivery and workflow. So as you can see, we believe we have significant opportunities to exploit in the fund. We believe that 2021, we will see continued significant growth, both from our U.S. cannabis weightings, as well as from our more broad healthcare and pharmaceutical weightings. We appreciate your continued support and want to remind everybody that the Nine Point Alternative Health Fund launched in March of 2017 is Canada's first actively managed mutual fund with a focus in the cannabis sector. Utilizing our daily active manage approach, we are able to generate industry-leading risk-adjusted returns. Thanks very much for listening.